You're listening to Midori House, first broadcast on the 15th of November 2018 on Monocle 24. Hello and welcome to Midori House, coming to you live from Studio One here in London. I'm Andrew Muller on today's show. From the very beginning, I have known what I wanted to deliver for the British people, to honour their vote in the referendum. At the end of a day chaotic and absurd, even by the standards of the present era of British politics, the Prime Minister gives a press conference dull enough to verge on the actually reassuring. My guests Carol Walker and Lance Price will be taking a long and doubtless occasionally disbelieving look at the latest stumbles down the interminable road to Brexit. That's all coming up on Midori House on Monocle 24 right now. And welcome to Midori House. My guests today are Carol Walker, political analyst and former BBC political correspondent, and Lance Price, political journalist who was Tony Blair's director of communications when Blair was prime minister, and a long time ago, that now seems. Uh, welcome both to the show. Listeners with memory stretching back beyond three years can probably recall a time when the United Kingdom was proverbial for government, which was, to coin a phrase, strong and stable. In 2016, then Prime Minister David Cameron embarked on what he thought was a minor task of in-party house cleaning and accidentally dumped the UK out of the European Union and the circus has not since ceased. Even by recent wretched standards, however, today has been pretty special. Um, Carol, first of all, I don't really know where to start. Uh, why don't we start more or less at the start? The first thing that happened was Dominic Rabb resigned, wasn't Was he the first to go this morning? Uh, yes, absolutely. What an extraordinary day. We've all been through many dramatic days in British politics, but this has clearly been up there with one of the most uh, extraordinary. Dominic Raab, who is was until this morning the Brexit secretary, who's been out there trying to negotiate the terms of Britain's withdrawal from the EU, resigned at nine o'clock this morning, saying that he could not in all honesty, continue to try to work on and to sell the deal which was supposedly agreed by the Cabinet yesterday. And he was followed shortly after that by another Cabinet Minister, Esther McVeigh, the Work and Pension Secretary, who many people had been speculating was going to w walk out. Since then, uh, we have had a clutch of more junior ministers walk out. Uh, That's a very, very tactful way of describing people that literally no one in the country had heard of until the last 24 hours. Indeed, but there are still rumours swirling of more senior ministerial resignations. I think um, many of us, knowing the views that some of those around the cabinet table hold, are quite surprised that some of them are still in there. We know that at the meeting last night, when the cabinet discussed this complicated deal of the prime ministers, uh, there were at least uh, 10 senior ministers who voiced their concerns and their objections to the deal. But extraordinary, through all of this, the Prime Minister is sticking to her guns. She made a statement in the Commons where she took a huge barrage of constant concern, opposition, objections and criticism from all sides for three hours and still insisted that she was going to stick to the deal. Um, there have also been rumours of a leadership contest against her, but she's given another news conference this evening. And yep, she's still battling on. Uh, Lance, you, you have been um, 
at the heart or in the middle of or have been on the receiving end of several such political goat rodeos of the, the, the sort we have seen today. Uh, how, how does today rate uh, in the annals of political chaos? Well, I thought at the time that we were going through tough times, but compared to what this Conservative government and this Prime Minister are going through at the moment, it was plain sailing every day, <laughs> although, as I say, it didn't feel like it at the, at the, at the time. I mean, this really is uh, unprecedented. I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed, uh, embarrassed to say that I'm old enough that I was in Downing Street on the day that uh, Margaret Thatcher resigned uh, as Prime Minister, and that's the only thing that I can think of. In those days, I was a journalist, obviously, not working for not working for the Labour Party. Um, th- that is the nearest parallel to this, where the governing party is in absolute turmoil and the position of the Prime Minister is very much uh, under, under question, uh, and uh, people are unsure whether she can carry on. Now, uh, just as Margaret Thatcher did for as long as she possibly could, Theresa May says that she's going to uh, stick to her policy, that she believes that what she's doing is right and in the national interest and so on, while everyone around her is doing the maths. And um, uh, I can't remember who it was now. The uh, A former prime minister said that the first law of politics, or was it a president in the United States, the first law of politics is to be able to do the maths. And the maths of the House of Commons, which as Carol rightly uh, described what happened earlier on today, the maths in the House of Commons must mean that the chances of her getting this deal through the House of Commons are sort of 0.0001% as we sit here tonight. She knows that in the same way as everybody else knows that. So while we admire her stoicism uh, and her determination uh, and uh, her her, her resoluteness, uh, you have to wonder whether or not she's living in the same world politically the rest of us. Well, Theresa May has had plenty to be stoical about today. Uh, This is a a montage uh, of reactions from other UK MPs to today's events, ranging from Jeremy Corbyn, the leader of the opposition, uh, to members of the SNP, the DUP, and even, perhaps even especially, her own party. The government, Mr Speaker, is in chaos. Their deal risks leaving the country in an indefinite halfway house without a real say. When even the last Brexit secretary, who theoretically at least negotiated the deal, says, I cannot support the proposed deal, what faith does that give anyone else in this place or in this country? What is absolutely shocking is that Scotland is not once mentioned in the document. Not once has Scotland's unique characteristics in the devolved settlement been worthy of mention. And yet, 100 mentions of Northern Ireland, mentions of Gibraltar, of Cyprus, of the Isle of Man, but no reference to Scotland. I could today stand here and take the Prime Minister through the list of promises and pledges that she made to this House and to us privately about the future of Northern Ireland in the the future relationship with the EU. But I fear it would be a waste of time since she clearly doesn't listen. The harsh, cruel truth of it is, is that this is not the promised deal. The reason why the people of this country are so fed up is because they've been made so many promises, none of which have been delivered upon because they can't be delivered upon. And there was plenty more where that came from. Uh, Carol, at the end of all that, she gave this press conference earlier this evening, about an hour ago, in fact. Um, 
which she started on a a somewhat portentous note. And I think, though I don't credit her with an immense sense of humour, I think she did quite deliberately, didn't she? She wanted the entire country to have three or four seconds of their blood completely freezing at the thought of what, what might follow her. Absolutely. She opened that news conference talking about the responsibilities of leadership. And I think that certainly myself and many others watching had a moment where we thought, she's going. But then she continued back onto her usual track. She veered back onto the, I've got the right deal for the country. I believe I'm delivering on the wishes of the British people. Even though, as you heard in some of those excerpts there, so many in the House of Commons believe that the problem is that the deal that she is trying to sell does not deliver on the will of the British people. And what is extraordinary is that the voices there that you heard reflected the opposition from all sides, from the opposition, from the Labour Party, from the Democratic Unionists, who are supposed to be propping up and supporting her government, and from leading Remain supporting Conservatives, as well as those leading Brexiteers who've been critical of her for a long time. So it is quite extraordinary that she is still battling on. I think the next question that we have to get to is whether she is going to face a leadership contest. Uh, Last night, one leading Brexiteer was already saying that she believed that the threshold had already been reached from the 48 Conservative MPs calling for a leadership contest, handing in letters to the chairman of uh, an important Conservative committee. We've had at least a dozen Conservative MPs coming out today publicly and talking about how they have handing in, handed in letters calling for that leadership contest. Um, and I think we are now braced to wait for whether that threshold is reached, whether there is a formal challenge to her leadership, and indeed, whether more senior cabinet ministers are going to stand down. Uh, Lance, you you worked in political communications, you directed political communications for an actual prime minister. What did you make of her performance at the press conference, leaving aside the question of whether she is pursuing a policy that's actually functional or or workable? uh, As an exercise in, in communications, what did you think of it? Well, I think she uh, kept on keeping on. And in a which sense, which that's is, is all, what she does. That's, it's what that's, she does. That's her thing. It's kind of all she can do under, under the circumstances. I mean, I don't think she can allow herself to stand back and look at how other people see the situation and whether she, if she wasn't Prime Minister, would be willing to support this deal. I suspect that she wouldn't. Hardly anybody supports this deal. Nobody thinks that this deal is a good one. What she's doing is uh, dealing with the cards, playing the cards that she's been dealt with. Uh, She wouldn't choose to have been dealt with these cards. She didn't even vote to leave the European Union herself. She was a Remainer. But she's having to, each day, get up and deal with the situation as she finds it. And in a sense, that's often what you have to do in politics if you're in, in a crisis. You just have to keep on going until either events or you yourself decide Okay, that's it. The game's up, and 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 you're knocked off course, or you're knocked off the perch. I think that that Theresa May herself personally feels this sense of responsibility, a public service duty. She genuinely believes herself that the best thing for the country is for her to stay on and for her to try to push through this deal. I think the problem with that is that it ignores the fact that she has 
got herself into this position by trying endlessly to try to keep all the competing views on board by making promises which are mutually incompatible to different people. And I think that is why we have ended up with this enormous fudge which doesn't please anyone. Um, I think that she has approached it with integrity. I think she genuinely believes that she's doing the right thing. But I think that it is a failure of her leadership that we are where we are now. Because I think if she had taken a stronger position earlier on in the process, if she had challenged the European Union over the whole structure of the negotiations, then she could have got herself into a much stronger position. But it's a challenge of leadership that isn't just about Theresa May. It goes back before Theresa May. Ever since, I mentioned Margaret Thatcher mm. earlier. Ever since Margaret Thatcher, each successive conservative leader has made concessions to the extreme anti-European wing of their party in order to try to keep them on board and, and to try to keep the Conservative Party together. And every time they've done that, they have made the risk of where we are now more likely, of a, of a hemorrhage between us and the rest of the European Union uh, and seriously damaging the best interests of the, of the country. But they knew what they were doing. They knew that they were taking that risk. But because of the, and it's partly a product of the political system that we have, where the two main party blocs have to try to stay together in order to form a, a form a government. But the interests of the Conservative Party and of keeping the Conservative Party together have been put ahead of the national interest, not just by Theresa May, but by John Major, who succeeded uh, Margaret Thatcher, and by every Conservative Party leader since. OK, we're going to take a short break now. You're listening to Midori House on Monocle 24 with me, Andrew Muller, along with Carol Walker and Lance Price. In the second half of the show, we will attempt to address the interesting question of what in the wide world of sports is going to happen next. Do stay with us. Tired of seeing the same few tedious tourist haunts? Well, the Monocle Travel Guide series has stopped off in 30-plus cities and counting in order to dispense advice on travelling like a local. From the finest spot in which to sip a cocktail with a contact, work up a sweat, or take a dip, our comprehensive travel guide series are packed with tips, essays, and tidbits for getting the very best from your destination. Monocle's travel guide series is published by Gestalten. We've recently added Mexico City and Zurich, Basel, and Geneva to the library, with Athens and Helsinki coming soon, and guides to Chicago and Hamburg following early next year. The Monocle Travel Guide series. Cities are fun. Let's explore. See that man sitting opposite you on the subway, lost in another world? Or that smart woman scribbling notes while having her flat white? Well, here's what links them. They're both listening to Monocle 24 via our free radio app that simply and seamlessly lets you tune in live or download shows for later enjoyment. Just think, you too could be settling back enjoying cultural nourishment in the form of the Monocle Arts Review, being briefed on the world of business with the entrepreneurs, or just enjoying great music with the sessions at Midori House. Come on, download the Monocle 24 app today. Stick on your headphones and have informed fun on the go. Monocle 24, keeping an eye and an ear on the world.
You're back with Midori House with me, Andrew Muller. Still with me are Carol Walker and Lance Price. Now, with the Brexit process well and truly at the closing scene of the Italian job stage, it seems a reasonable cue to try supplying the sentence following. Hang on, lads, I've got a great idea. Can the bus of state be retrieved from the cliff edge of Brexit? And if so, and by whom? That metaphor brought to you, by the way, by the 20-minute delay uh, in between Theresa May's press conference being supposed to start and when it actually started. So address all correspondence to her. Um, Carol, trying to figure out where we go from here. If we, if, if we, if we start with what we have, which is, which is the Theresa May deal, um, is there actually any other imaginable deal that the EU would actually agree to? I think it's very difficult to see how any kind of new deal can now be negotiated. It's probably just worth reminding people what this withdrawal deal does. It sets out the terms of Britain's departure from the EU. It provides for things like the rights of EU citizens in the UK. It says that the UK is going to hand over £39 billion. But the really controversial bit is this very complicated arrangement to try to avoid a hard border in Ireland between Northern Ireland, which after Brexit will be out of the EU, and the Irish Republic, which will remain in it. And what Theresa May has managed to agree is this deal that says, well... If after two years of a transition deal, we haven't got a great new trade deal to avoid new barriers, then we'll all stay in a customs union, but the rules will be even tighter for Northern Ireland. Oh, and we can only get out of that if the UK and the EU jointly agree it. So if you are somebody who voted for Brexit to take back control and assert British sovereignty, and you're being told, well, actually, we're going to be indefinitely in a situation where we've got to follow all the EU's rules and regulations and standards, and we'll only be able to get out of it if the EU says we can. That is an absolute anathema. That is something that they cannot stomach. That is why uh, Theresa May is in this huge difficulty. I think there is now a very strong possibility that she will face a leadership contest. I think it's quite surprising that we haven't heard already that that threshold has been reached. But when it comes to a leadership contest, it is quite possible that she could get the votes to survive. And under Tory party rules, of course, that means she's safe for another year. That would mean she's safe for another year. And as things stand, based on what Theresa May has said uh, tonight, it would seem that she will try to go ahead with a summit uh, with EU leaders that's pencilled in for 10 days' time, but then come back to face a House of Commons that will almost certainly vote down her deal based on what we've heard from MPs this afternoon. Lance, one other possibility uh, is that this whole thing may go off in the Conservative Party's face again and we may find ourselves with a general election and it is not impossible that Labour could win that. Um, Were that the case, would they be able to negotiate anything different or would the EU's attitude just be we were negotiating with the government of the United Kingdom, we don't much care which party it is, that's the deal, take it or leave it? Yeah, I do think the chances of a general election are pretty remote, to be honest. But let's accept the the premise. Would Labour be able to do anything differently? Well, they would because 
their own uh, red lines, if you like, are different to the Conservative Party's mm. red lines. So the Labour Party would go into negotiations with the European Union saying, fine, we're happy to sign up to the customs union and to the single market. We want to be in something which, if it isn't exactly the customs union and single market as it, as it is now, is pretty much the same thing. So the basis for the negotiations would be an awful lot easier. Now, people who, as uh, Carol was describing, who voted for Brexit, take back control and all the rest of it would probably look at that and say, well, that isn't Brexit. But nevertheless, that is the opposition's position. Uh, and the membership of the Labour Party and the vast majority of Labour MPs are strongly behind a, a settlement which keeps us as close to what looks like EU membership as is humanly possible to achieve, even though a lot of Labour voters voted to, to, to leave. Um, so in that sense, the negotiations would be different and we would be in a different position, certainly, than we are in now. I mean, Carol, another way out of this being posited, of course, and we'll move on to some of the more fantastical ways ones after this, but this this is the idea of a second referendum. Um, Do today's shenanigans get us any closer to that happening? Well, look, it's still a possibility in these hugely turbulent times, but I still think that it is very unlikely that we will have another referendum because to have another referendum, you've got to have a government that is committed to legislating to have another referendum. Neither of the main parties in the UK, even if we had a general election, are committed to holding that uh, other referendum because any government that went down that route would know, firstly, that they would face months of argument about what the basis of the referendum is going to be. What's the question going to be? Uh, does it include staying in the EU? What's the voting system going to be? Um, there would be an incredibly long battle to get that legislation through. There would then be another referendum campaign, which would undoubtedly be hugely divisive, with feelings running very high already on both sides. And the chances are that at the end of it, the result would be pretty close. I think at this stage, uh, it's quite difficult to say what the result would be because there are so many hypotheticals between now and then, but the result would be close. Uh, And the chances are that you would still be stuck with the same conundrum that you are now. The comedy result, of course, would be remain winning it by a smaller margin than leave won the first one. Um, A lot of people are thinking, well, (coughs) wouldn't it be interesting if Theresa May were to win uh, a leadership election within the Conservative Party by 52% to 48% and, (laughs) and, and would the the other side then accept the result. Uh, well, uh, that does bring us to some of the more... Uh, th- there's been what we'll charitably describe as some blue-sky thinking uh, on this, Lance, from certain sectors of British politics. One Conservative MP, Anna Subri, who's been very and vocally pro-Remain from the off, um, she's suggesting a government of national unity. Is that as preposterous as it sounds? Well, I don't think it sounds preposterous, actually. I mean, if you think of the times at which this nation has been facing a, uh, let's say, an existential threat, maybe that's a bit strong for where we are now. But uh, in the Second World War, for example, there was a there was a government of national unity. So the, the, Second, World, the, the Second World War, of course, wasn't entirely self-inflicted. No, that's <laughs> true. Uh, and that's a slightly different point. But I think 
where Anna Subri is coming from is her belief, and this is shared by a lot of MPs of all parties, is that if the government can't sort this out, Parliament, someone's going to have to take back control. Parliament's going to have to take back control. Now, if you hand responsibility to Parliament, uh, then clearly it seems to me there isn't a majority for uh, what Theresa May is putting forward. There isn't a majority for a no deal crashing out of the European Union with queues of lorries and stockpiling of food and medicines and so on. So uh, is there something around which Parliament could coalesce? Now, there probably is, because that would involve a large bulk of the Labour Party, a significant uh, number of Conservatives who are absolutely horrified by the prospect of no deal, of the Scottish National Party, the Liberal Democrats and so on and so forth. So if you could get beyond the tribal system of politics, it is possible to conceive of people coming together in the House of Commons who shared a common objective of looking after, of genuinely looking after the national interest. Now, that's why it's not ridiculous, but the, poss- the chances of getting there from where we are now are, are remote, but then the chances of just about all the other alternatives <laughs> that we've been talking about are pretty remote too. And there is so much sound and fury that it's very difficult now to see how you could get that sort of consensus. But Actually, if you look at what Theresa May is proposing, it's not a million miles away from Labour Party policy. Labour Party policy is to have a customs union with the European Union. Okay, they want it to be permanent, but there is common ground there. And there is certainly an argument that says, look, if immediately after that referendum result, which was such a huge shock to the entire country... The Prime Minister had said, look, I recognise there are strong views on either side. I recognise that uh, the result was close. I think it's important to try to build consensus to work with other parties. Perhaps at that stage, she could have built a consensus across the Commons to get support for her deal. Uh, Whereas now, uh, she's heading for a car crash when she tries to bring that deal back to Parliament. The question is whether you can get back to that state of affairs where it's still possible to reach that degree of consensus. And there is a possible way forward in which that could be done, which would involve, I think it would probably involve a new prime minister, but it would involve uh, putting the whole process on hold. That is to say, suspending what's called Article 50, Mm -hmm. which is the process that determines that we have to leave on the 29th of March and say, hang on a second, we can't go ahead with this. We're just going to freeze it. We're going to have an extension of that. And a new prime minister who isn't bound by all the commitments that uh, Theresa May has made, all the promises that, as Carol says, she's made to different people that contradict with each other. So she's boxed in. You need somebody who isn't boxed in in the same way as Theresa May is, who then says, OK, we'll have a royal commission. We'll, we'll, we'll take it as long as it takes. We'll get all the parties together. We can only carry this forward. Uh, the the, the, the British people can only come together behind something if we take party politics out of it. Now, I know, you know, you said... anguish. <laughs> oh, we're going to delay our departure from the European Union. Oh, we're all going to put it on hold. All those people who've been saying, can't we just get on with Brexit? I'm fed up with hearing about it, being told, actually, the whole thing's going to be put on hold for, ooh, well, an indefinite period. <laughs> you, the, the house of anguish from Leave voters, let alone the Brexiteers in the Conservative. And those people who say they're tired of hearing about it haven't heard anything yet. 
I don't think there is there is no years, and, and, and we are never going to satisfy that I mean you know most people in this country would love never to hear about Brexit and never to have to argue about the European Union ever again but whatever happens we are going to be sitting in this studio discussing the pros and cons of Britain's attitude towards the European Union for the next 20 years if we're still alive could, could you not just give Tony a call and get him to come back and sort all this out well I think Tony's ready and waiting but I'm not sure the British public I'm not sure he's the person <laughs> to heal the divisions in our country and even somehow. I big, big fan I, uh, of Tony Blair that I am. I, I would agree with that. And Carol I suspect um, even the Labour Party would not say well, that this is a moment to bring uh, back Tony Blair. Especially the Labour Party. Um, we're, we're almost out of time. Um, I did want to end by asking you each both in turn to to gawp into your crystal balls. Uh, Carol, I'll ask you first. You'll, you'll have about 45 seconds each. Um, seriously, where do you expect us to be, let's say, a year from now? I think that we will be out of the European Union in a kind of open-ended transition deal and with the same huge arguments going on in Parliament about what the future relationship (laughs) with the European Union is going to be, but with a different Prime Minister, because I think one way or another, uh, Theresa May, for all her battling spirit, her days in power are numbered. Lance, what, what what do you think? One year from now, if we're, if we're having this conversation, yeah, November 2019, what sort of status is the UK in vis-a-vis Europe? There's a real risk that we would wake up on November the 14th, 1919 and say it's Groundhog Day and we're having the same arguments again. Um, I, I, I agree with Carol that I think the probability, probability is that we will technically have left the European Union, but that everything will feel the same. So there'll be actually no practical change in our relationship with the European Union, either under something akin to uh, Theresa May's plan or uh, what we've been discussing previously, some sort of consensus that's reached within within Parliament. But there isn't any possibility uh, that uh, it, it that will just sort of crash out. I don't think. I don't think. I mean, if we if we do crash out, then all bets are off, obviously. And I agree that it'll be under a different prime minister. Well, that does bring us to the end of today's show, which I suppose we should dedicate with immense gratitude to David Cameron for giving us something to talk about. Uh, Lance Price and Carol Walker, thank you both very much for joining us at Midori House. The show was produced by Tom Hall, researched by Fernando Augusto Pacheco, Barbara Maimoni and Marcus Hippie. Our studio manager was Cassie Galpin. Music next at 1900. It's The Urbanist with Andrew Tuck. I'm back with more on the day's main stories on The Daily at 2200. Midori House returns at 1800 London time tomorrow. I'm Andrew Muller. Thank you for listening. <laughs>